Next, this month's special series focus on neurology and psychiatry. Throughout this month, ReachMD welcomes an array of experts to explore developments in neuroscience and mental health. The term seasonal affective disorder was coined in the early 1980s when some patients were noted to have symptoms of depression only during the winter months. How does seasonal depression differ from other conditions such as major depression or bipolar disorder? What do physicians need to know about diagnosing and treating patients with seasonal affective disorder? You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Psychiatry. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Norman Rosenthal, clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School, former senior researcher in psychiatry and psychobiology, and author of the book, Winter Blues. Welcome, Dr. Rosenthal. Thank you. Now, let's talk about seasonal affective disorder. What is it? It's a kind of major depression that occurs in a lot of people when the days get short and dark. The key thing, I think, for doctors to be aware of is that it doesn't announce itself with depression written all over it. As the days begin to get short and dark, people who are sensitive and susceptible to this condition begin to develop a fairly predictable cluster of symptoms. They slow down. They're less energetic. It's more difficult to wake up in the morning. They tend to oversleep. They begin to crave sweets and starches, overeat and gain weight. They're less active. They withdraw from friends and family. But this all occurs incrementally over weeks or months. And by the time December, January, February comes, they feel like they're failing in a lot of key ways. They're not succeeding with their relationships and at work, and they can become quite depressed at that time. All of this tends to reverse when spring and summer arrive. How common would you say this condition is? I would say it's at least 5% of the adult population. It varies depending on latitude. It's probably more common than that in the northern parts of the United States and less common in the south. And who gets it? Males, females, younger, older? Who's getting seasonal affective disorder? Women tend to get it more commonly than men by about three to one. And you can see it in children and adolescents. In fact, by the senior year of high school, the prevalence is almost as great as what you see in the adult population. And interestingly enough, after puberty, the female preponderance really becomes apparent So it seems like there's something to do with the secretion of the female sex hormones that sensitizes the brain to changes in environmental light. Does seasonal affective disorder run in families at all? Yes, it certainly does. Family members are much more likely to have mood disorders in general and seasonal affective disorder in particular. You're saying that people in the northern latitudes tend to get seasonal affective disorder more. What about the southern hemisphere when it's winter down there? Oh, yes. Definitely. Australia and South Africa have certainly reported seasonal affective disorder cases in abundance. Are there patients who have a spring or summer type of seasonal depression? There is a spring-summer type of seasonal depression. It seems less common than the winter variety, and these folks predictably get depressed every summertime. So what's causing this seasonal affective disorder? And why do you say that it seems to be related to darkness and the shorter days rather than maybe just being cold? There is extensive experimentation right now with light therapy, exposure to bright environmental light, which shows that the exposure to light can do a great deal to reverse the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. 
what that really suggests is that it's the absence of light or the lack of light that's driving the symptoms in the first place. In other words, they don't get better if you just heat them up. So it seems like the light rather than the heat is more important in the winter variety of seasonal affective disorder. And the light just has to enter the body through the eyes. It does not need to affect the skin in any way. Is that correct? The eye does seem to be the key player. We did do a study, my colleagues and I at the NIMH, and compared exposure to the eye to exposure to the skin, and the eye treatment definitely was superior. What confuses matters a little bit is that some of my patients with seasonal affective disorder have gone to tanning salons, and there seems to be an independent effect via the skin as well as via the eye. But the classical treatment for seasonal affective disorder is bright light without any UV light coming in through the eyes, and that works. We now more recently have found that there seems to be some effect on the skin. We are very hesitant to recommend tanning salons, of course, because of the ultraviolet damage to the skin, which is obviously a a significant consideration. So ordinary light, very bright, but lacking ultraviolet light, seems to be quite effective for treating seasonal affective disorder. Have you found that seasonal affective disorder, the prevalence varies depending on a person's skin pigmentation or whether they wear sunglasses? Well, I think if you're vulnerable to seasonal affective disorder, you should probably lose the sunglasses in the winter, as they say, because they can reduce the amount of light coming in through the eyes. If you don't have any seasonal affective disorder, you don't have to worry about that, of course, although Uh, On a winter's day, many people might not want to wear the sunglasses in the first place, although there can be a glare of snow on a winter's day, and the sun is coming in at a very low angle, so sunglasses may be desirable. But you do want to get as much light as possible if you are someone suffering from the winter form of SAD. Now, one criticism I've heard about the concept of SAD, or seasonal affective disorder, is that people in Norway do not complain of the depression that you're reporting in the winter when it's dark there. What do you think about that criticism? Well, it's basically incorrect. There are lots of complaints, and these go way back. There was a wonderful piece in The New Yorker many years ago documenting the cravings for light in the town of Tromsø, which is north of the Arctic Circle and how they would talk about light incessantly, how they would fly down to Oslo simply to be in the sun, and how they would celebrate the day at which the sun returned, because for many days it's below the horizon. And there are other studies that show a fair amount of seasonal affective disorder in Norway. So I know there was a recent report of no complaints, but that, I think, is just flat wrong. You're listening to a special segment, Focus on Psychiatry. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Norman Rosenthal, practicing psychiatrist, former senior researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health, and author of Winter Blues. We're discussing what physicians need to know about seasonal affective disorder. So is it important to distinguish between seasonal affective disorder and, say, major depression that's year-round or bipolar disorder? Well, one thing I want to clarify is that seasonal affective disorder can be either major depressive disorder or bipolar disorder, that they're essentially overlapping diagnoses. The one distinction, of course, is that the seasonal affective disorder has a specific season where it emerges. And the importance of recognizing that is that environmental interventions can make a difference with the SAD 
in a way that they're less likely to do with non-seasonal depression. So it does have specific therapeutic implications if you can recognize the seasonality of the pattern. So what is a first-line treatment of seasonal affective disorder? Mostly I use light as a first-line treatment. I expand the day, as it were. I use a device that turns the bedside lamp on gently in the morning, a so-called dawn simulator. And these are commercially available. If people cannot afford a dawn simulator, then they can put their bedside lamp on a timer. Time to go on a half an hour before wake-up time in the morning. And then I recommend the use of bright light early in the morning and sometimes even later in the day. There are special light fixtures available commercially, and they are certainly the way to go. Does the light need to be a certain intensity, and does there need to be a certain duration of light every day that the patient is exposed to for seasonal affective disorder? You know, there's not a one-size-fits-all formula, as is the case with medicines. Psychiatric medicines are given in great variety of doses depending on the patient and depending on the symptoms. But most of these lights are way brighter than what you would get in an ordinary indoor environment. The initial light box that we used in our earliest studies was 2,500 lux. L-U-X is a measure of light. An ordinary indoor room is perhaps 500 lux. So that's five times as bright. More recent studies use 10,000 lux. So that is a great deal brighter than ordinary indoor lighting. So how is the light therapy actually affecting the patient when the patient's sitting there maybe in front of one of these light boxes that you mentioned? Sometimes there's an immediate effect of the light. Sometimes they feel immediately activated. But in other cases, the light may need to be given for a week or more before you really see the effect. There are some theories as to how the light is working, but one theory is that it's involving circuitry between the eye and the hypothalamus and possibly boosting serotonin synthesis, and there's a great deal of data suggesting that. It may also be working via other neurotransmitters as well. Is there any disadvantage or downside to the light therapy? Every treatment can have side effects, and light therapy is no exception in that regard, although I must say, as far as treatments go, it's extremely benign. However, it can cause irritability of the kind that these folks sometimes get during the summertime, Headaches and eye strain may occur. If they use it late at night, it can cause insomnia, and those are the most common. But all of these can usually be easily handled by decreasing the exposure to bright light. Are there any studies that compare light therapy with antidepressants for seasonal affective disorder? You know, there has been one study that compared it with Prozac and found it to be pretty much the same except that it works quicker. And certainly antidepressants do seem to help people with seasonal affective disorder, so they're not obligated to use the light. Many times patients will use a combination of antidepressants and light therapy. That's a common thing to do. You mentioned that there's an overlap in the conditions of seasonal affective disorder, major depression, bipolar disease. Can light therapy help people who have depression or bipolar problems? You know, that's a great question. It hasn't been fully fleshed out from a research point of view, but clinically I would say yes, that it's definitely worth a try. And probably in those cases, it's best used as an adjunctive treatment. Say you have a patient on antidepressants, they're 75% better, you're trying to get the other 25%. Light therapy as an adjunctive treatment may be a very reasonable thing to try.
just so that our listeners know, how much roughly does a light box cost and is it ever covered by insurance plans? Light boxes are variable, but the modern ones can usually be bought for about $200. Sometimes insurance will reimburse. And in fact, in my book, Winter Blues, I do have a letter that is a sample of what I write to get patients to get reimbursement for their light therapy. And then I have a second letter when the first one's rejected, which, as we all know, is not at all uncommon, but they are often reimbursed and certainly they usually pay themselves many times over because it's a one-time expense. The other thing that's important for clinicians to know is that all of these light box companies have at least a 30-day money-back guarantee, and mostly patients will respond within 30 days if they respond at all. So really, every patient can get a free trial of light therapy if they simply are organized enough to order the light box, give it a try promptly, and get it back to the manufacturer if it doesn't work. What about some other treatments that patients might try that have much less of a cost, such as changing their diet or exercising or maybe alternative treatments like St. John's Ward? The cheapest effective treatment is get out in the morning for a walk in the morning sun. Because even on a winter day, there's plenty of sunlight around outside. It's just that these folks don't do it. So a morning walk or a walk at lunchtime doesn't, it costs pennies or doesn't cost anything at all, and it can be highly effective. Just get up. Get up and be in the light in the morning. Seasonal affective disorder is a vicious circle in that people with a problem tend to sleep in, and when they sleep in, they don't get morning light. So if you just make a point of getting up, set two alarm clocks or three if necessary to get you up or get your partner to wake you up so that you can get going in the morning. Exercise. Exercise in the morning is the best. Make a date with a friend or with someone to walk in the morning outside or to exercise in some way. Combining exercise and light therapy is highly effective. And this, of course, can be done outdoors or by putting your treadmill in front of a light box. These are very effective. Diet, people who crave carbohydrates and overeat and gain weight would do well to limit their carbohydrates, especially the high glycemic ones, and to shift the diet towards complex carbohydrates and proteins. With that, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Norman Rosenthal. We've been discussing seasonal affective disorder. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Psychiatry, from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Neurology and Psychiatry. For downloadable podcasts of all the programs in this series, go to reachmd.com and choose the series Focus on Neurology and Psychiatry.